This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend warriors of Michigan politics and government. What a week it was. Another one in the face of the coronavirus brouhaha storm, whatever you want to call it, we're going through it. And the bloom may be off the rose. After getting a lot of support for her early response to the coronavirus pandemic, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has gotten some serious pushback this week. But it may not make any difference in terms of whether she can successfully implement her actions with most of the state's population and a lot of its interest groups seeming to support what she has been doing, at least for now. Two important things happened this week. First, on Tuesday, April 7th, the Michigan legislature met in an extraordinary session in the state capitol in Lansing. Suffice to say, There has never been anything like it in all of Michigan history. Let me just report that the Senate had a session beginning at 10 a.m. that lasted just over 13 minutes. The senators had a request from the governor to extend her state of emergency order issued last month for 70 days until June 16th. Instead, the Republican majority offered a resolution that extended her executive order until only April 30th. The Senate Minority Leader, Jim Ananick, a Democrat from Flint, attempted to amend the resolution to the Whitmer requested June 16th, but that was predictably defeated on a voice vote. By the way, a majority of senators, 24, were present on the floor some wearing face masks, all of them spread out across the chamber. Then a vote was offered on the original resolution, and it passed again on a voice vote. Maybe somebody opposed it, but nobody could hear it. Then Senate Republicans announced they were in recess, or you could call it adjourned, take your pick, until April 16th. And after they meet that day, they would recess until April 30th. Now, over in the State House of Representatives, it was a dramatically different scenario, but with the same result. Remember, the House is a far bigger chamber with 110 members as opposed to 38, nearly three times as many members. How are we going to crowd all of those members into a chamber where social distancing is the norm? The answer is you cannot. So even though they convened at the same time as the Senate at 10 in the morning, they took more than three hours to have members come in to the chamber in platoons and announce their presence which was recorded on the electronic scoreboard. Then, just after 1 p.m. in the afternoon, it was announced that 78 members had shown up and 32 had not. The majority Republicans then called for a vote on the Senate resolution, 
that had passed just hours before. On a voice vote, with only about half a dozen members actually present on the floor at that point, it prevailed. The House then announced it would reconvene, like the Senate, on April 16th, and just like the Senate, again on April 30th. End of story. There has been no reaction yet on whether Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who contended that the legislature did not need to meet this week at all, and that her edict of a 70-day extension was valid without the legislature's consent, will appeal what the legislature did. Stay tuned. Now, I should mention that before the final vote on extension in the House, there was an attempt by the House Minority Leader, Christine Gregg of Farmington Hills, to get the House to consider her resolution calling for the legislature to be able to meet in a, quote, remote session, unquote, in times like these. Her resolution, H.R. 245, was referred to the House Government Operations Committee by the Speaker, Lee Chatfield, and that's where the bill will sit as the legislature remains in a virtual standstill. Greg said, in her words, in a press release, and I'm quoting here, the legislature has a duty to take up important matters. Now more than ever, we must continue our work while also following the public health guidance to stop the spread of this deadly virus, unquote. Under her resolution, the House could only vote remotely during a declared state of emergency. Doing so, Greg argued, is critical for lawmakers to complete the budget kickstart the economy, and broaden health care, among other priorities. Now, with a remote committee meeting, only the chair would be in a committee room with other members calling in or appearing through some video conferencing. With session, the House Speaker, the House Minority Leader, both floor leaders, and the Speaker Pro Tem would be present, as would be the House Clerk. Everybody else would participate remotely. House Republicans are not sold that it could logistically be pulled off. So we'll see what develops on that. Now, the other big event this week, two days later, Thursday, Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced that she would extend her executive order to stay at home, which was scheduled to expire on Monday, April 13th, she's going to extend it to April 30th. Not only that, but she expanded the order to include big box stores like, let's say, Kroger's. And she did not limit the order to southeast Michigan, where the vast majority of coronavirus cases have been recorded. And that drew huge backlash from outstate Republicans. Here is House Speaker Lee Chatfield in a press release, and I'm going to quote here. Governor Whitmer's new shutdown order was a missed opportunity for Michigan families. Today was a chance for Michigan to take a positive step forward toward recovery. But instead, families are going to continue to struggle under a one-size-fits-all approach that puts fear ahead of public safety. 
the people we represent deserve better, the governor, Mr. Chance. And I'm continuing here. This is a quote from House Speaker Lee Chatfield. The government should not be deciding who is essential. Everyone in Michigan is essential. Instead, Governor Whitmer should be asking what jobs and activities can be done safely. We need safety, the deciding factor, and allow people in low-risk communities and workplaces to begin getting back to normal. We can do all of that and still prioritize public health as a deciding factor. People in our state are hurting right now. Families are locked in their homes. Unemployment is skyrocketing, and the government isn't answering their calls for help. We need a real forward-looking solution to begin helping everyone who has been impacted by this pandemic. Today's executive order is not that solution, unquote, from Lee Chatfield. Now, as a result of the governor's executive order and stay-at-home order, Michigan claims for unemployment compensation have skyrocketed to third highest in the nation. And the unemployment insurance agency has been overwhelmed. I could go on and on, but pushback from the House Appropriations Committee chairman who said, you know, we gave Gretchen Whitmer all the money she asked for unemployment compensation, so she should look in the mirror. I could go on and on, but we're going to have to cut it short right now and get to our first guest with more commentary on the coronavirus and response. Back in a minute. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we have on the line with us Dennis Lennox. He is a Republican consultant, and I think he probably will have some sharp observations to make about what happened this week in Michigan government and politics. Dennis Lennox, thanks for being with us on The Political Insider. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. So what do you think? How do you look at things right now? What happened this week and what's going to happen going forward? Well, I think there's no question that this past week, the Michigan uh, legislature and the governor found themselves in a, in a constitutional crisis when the legislature said uh, they weren't going to give the governor a 70-day extension of her emergency powers. And of course, after the fact, she tried to save face and say, well, you know, that 23-day extension protects first responders, but I'm still keeping the door open to using my emergency powers under a Second World War law, Second World War uh, law that uh, doesn't require legislative approval. And, you know, unlike a lot of people, Bill, I, I'm willing to cede most of what the governor has done, including that stay-at-home order that really isn't a stay-at-home order unless you're a special interest group that favors Democrats. You know, abortion clinics and marijuana shops are okay, uh, but non-unionized workers or gun stores aren't. Um, in Gretchen Whitmer's world, uh, you can cut the grass, but you can't smoke it. <laughs> well, uh, on Thursday, when she issued this extension of the stay-at-home order to April 30th, she actually expanded it. She doubled down on expansion of what that covers, even though all sorts of legislators well, out state have been arguing that she needs to scale it back or she needs to make some distinction between Southeast Michigan and outstate Michigan and the Upper Peninsula. She didn't do that. Well, there's 
no question that she's being vindictive to the legislate, legislators who didn't give her for 70 days. You know, uh, abortion clinics are all right, marijuana shops are all right, but non-unionized workers aren't, gun shops aren't. But look, though, I'm, I'm willing to cede that stay-at-home order. For me, there's other questions in play here. Uh, I agree that this governor, or frankly any governor, has certain powers. Uh, but those powers have to be within the state constitution, and that's hugely important, Bill. Uh, you and I know there's such a thing as a Michigan state constitution, but I'm willing to wager that most listeners, and certainly more than a handful of state legislators, have never read our state constitution. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, that state constitution has never uh, endeared the sort of devotion and scholarship that the federal constitution has. Uh, but nonetheless, our, our state constitution is really uh, foundational in moments like this. And, and under that state constitution, there's no question, that, the, in my mind, that this governor has acted unconstitutionally in some areas of her executive orders by usurping the duties of the legislature. Uh, you know, namely, she suspended um, several uh, public acts, state laws that were duly enacted by the legislature. Yeah, Saginaw County attorney filed a lawsuit challenging Whitmer's executive order regarding freedom of information requirements during this pandemic. Uh, a guy named Philip Ellison, he's with Hemlock-based outside legal counsel. He filed the suit, which also names the state as a defendant, challenging Whitmer's authority to rewrite and suspend the government's sunshine law. And he said, and I'm going to quote here, undoubtedly COVID-19 is a serious public health concern, but it does not give our government a blank check to do whatever they wish without answering to the public or the law. He said, quote, the need for government oversight is at its highest in times of crisis and the resulting unprecedented use of government powers, unquote. What do you think about that? Well, there's, there's uh, you know, the governor also suspended the Open Meetings Act. Uh, there's a federal lawsuit that was filed uh, quite recently um, by some protesters who claim that they were cited by police uh, for protesting, which apparently if you protest outside an abortion clinic, if you're an anti-abortion activist, uh, that's unlawful under the governor's executive orders. So there's a whole host of legal questions here. Uh, but let's let's remember the important issue here. All of her so-called emergency powers don't come from the Constitution. They come because of two laws, one from World War II and the other from the Cold War. Neither one of those laws is based in the state Constitution. Um, in fact, I can only find one provision of the state Constitution that deals with emergencies, and that's a provision that's existed since our first constitution in 1835 that gives powers to the governor to repel invasions and insurrections. Uh, that's a power that I'm guessing uh, originated after the British invaded and occupied Michigan during the War of 1812, and it also partly explains why we have a state capital in Lansing and not Detroit. But she has no powers under the state constitution. Uh, you know, Anything given to her under state law uh, can't, no pun intended, trump the Constitution. And and I think this is a clear case where the legislature has been usurped. They have the clear, exclusive authority uh, to make laws. That includes suspending laws or modifying laws. She just can't issue decrees uh, suspending state statutes. And, you know, Bill, I think this is one of those cases where, you know, term limits get blamed for a lot of things in Lansing, fairly or unfairly. But there's no question that a legislature of a different era, a pre-term limits era, probably would have been more forceful in inserting itself and protecting the separation of powers. Yeah, Dennis, uh, let me just mention there is some general language in the Constitution that basically says 
the governor cannot be precluded from exercising her authority uh, in the case, I don't know if it uses the word emergency, but uh, in certain situations of a very general nature. I mean, I think any governor could hang her hat or her bonnet or whatever on that. And, and well, it's, there's not much case law on this. And, and so, you know, it's my opinion, it's your opinion, it's somebody else's opinion. It's the governor's opinion, right? I believe, though, you can make a very strong argument here that under the separation of powers, only the legislature can make, amend, suspend laws. Uh, there's nothing in the state constitution that says she can suspend laws. Now, clearly she can issue executive orders, she can issue, you know, interpretive directives, but she can't suspend statutes. Uh, at least that's my opinion. And, you know, but at the end of the day, Bill, you know, there's a couple lawsuits filed. I don't think they're going to get resolved. The courts are basically closed in Michigan. They don't move that fast. And unless somebody's got a really high-priced lawyer here, I don't see anyone getting a court to weigh in on any of these fundamental constitutional issues before April 30th. And that's too bad, because I do think uh, there are some important constitutional doctrines here that need to be clarified. Dennis, what do you see going forward? Has the economy been irreparably damaged? I mean, forget, you know, revenue coming into the state treasury. It's not going to come in as fast. That's for darn sure. Uh, Certainly in this quarter, we hope not that much longer. But, I mean, overall, the families, I mean, you know, the populace of Michigan is suffering under this economic calamity, really. There's no question about that. I, you know, you talk to some of the economists, and I'm, I'm certainly not an economist, but you talk to some of them and they say, well, you know, there'd be a V-curve, and, and once this is all done, there'd be a lot of pent-up demand. And I, and I do think that's true for a lot of people. It's just a question of how long does this keep going. And, and you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm not a public health expert. I'm not going to play one. I'm not going to say whether or not that stay-at-home order should have been extended to April 30th. But it just is astonishing that this governor doesn't seem to want to at least make some step, take some action, you know, in steps towards reopening the economy. As you said, she's doubling down and making it more restrictive instead of at least signaling that she's willing to engage in a dialogue with the legislature or business leaders and workers on how do we move forward and open up our economy in, in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks from now, whenever that appropriate time is. Well, listen, those are great insights. We really appreciate your participation. Dennis Lennox, Republican consultant, thank you so much for being our guest on The Political Insider. Thanks, Bill, and read the state constitution for everyone else. (laughs) I'll go back and take a peek. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we are fortunate to have with us on the line Abigail Sensky, WKAR politics reporter. Abigail, thanks for being with us. Of course. Happy to be here. Now, Abigail, this is a pretty uh, momentous and eventful week, uh, at least in a couple of respects I can think of, and that is the legislative session on Tuesday and the governor's extension of her stay-at-home order on Thursday. 
maybe we can just start with Tuesday legislative session. What did you think about that anyway? Yeah, so I actually went to the legislative session to cover. I know some outlets like Gongwer and AP opted not to actually for fear of their safety and health. Um, because simply there were so many people back in the Capitol. Not only did you have all the representatives and senators and a handful of staffers, you also had health screeners and um, staff sergeants and the police, as well as, you know, several organizations and members of the media. So um, it was the most people I had seen personally in a month. Um, since <laughs> life has been kind of locked down here in Michigan. And it was it was odd to see such a gathering at a time where, you know, most of the state is still confined to their homes, whether they're working from home or they're laid off. So um, both chambers had quorums, and both chambers ended up not extending the governor's um, request for her emergency powers to be extended the full 70 days that she had asked for. Um, instead, they opted to do that through the end of April, which is in line with what um, President Trump had recommended for his social distancing guidelines as well. When you were in the Capitol, did the news media have to sit up in the gallery above the floor? Is that where you were? Right. So the news media were in the gallery, as well as a handful of police and sergeants, and then lawmakers were actually asked to follow very specific entrance procedures, so uh, to minimize, you know, the amount of people that were in one room at the same time. So they actually had to um, notify their specific uh, caucus that they were coming in, and they came in um, five at a time to be screened. Everyone who entered the building had their temperatures taken, as well as you were asked a series of you know health questions like, have you had a cough in the last 14 days? Have you had a high temperature? Have you been exposed to anyone with a confirmed case of COVID-19? And then you were allowed to enter. But lawmakers after they had checked in, actually were allowed to come sit up in the gallery if they didn't just leave the Capitol before returning for their voice votes. Yeah, well, now there were two sessions, and I think they began at the same time. The Senate and House both began at 10, and the Senate session only lasted 13 minutes. Did you go to that also? I did not go to the Senate session. I was in the House watching um, kind of check-in procedures there. That session moved incredibly quickly, and the House attendance procedure um, took much longer. Uh, almost, you know, it took really the full three hours that they had projected, um, and then they were able to start that. And the House session uh, only ended up lasting about five minutes. How many... House members did you see on the House floor at one time? What was the most number of House members that were actually on the floor, even though they had to keep proper distancing and they were spread around the chamber? What was the most that you saw? So there were about five or six on the floor during check-in. And then during the voice vote, um, I actually left For NPR reporters, we have to adhere to NPR's health guidelines, and so it was recommended um, by my editors that I leave and watch the stream after, you know, checking in there. So 
the cameras were trained on Speaker Chatfield in the House and didn't show the floor um, during the voice vote. So not sure how many lawmakers were actually on then. But, you know, in the three hours leading up to that, it was about six people uh, max, I would say. How many news media were present, would you estimate, altogether? I think when I was in the gallery, there were, you know, 20 or so people there, but I know more TV crews showed up uh, closer to the actual vote, which happened around uh, between like 1 and one thirty. Yeah, well, 20 is quite a few. You mean 20 people from the news media in various capacities, whether it was TV, radio, print reporters, uh, there were that many in the gallery? Absolutely, yeah. And it was encouraging to see everyone wearing a mask. Um, Ironically, the only two people that weren't wearing masks that I saw in the Capitol that day were uh, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist and Speaker Lee Chatfield. So uh, they were distant from everyone else, but everyone else, whether you were a journalist or lawmaker, were wearing masks. Yeah, and if you didn't see the Senate session, you missed the uh, serenade of an invocation by Majority Leader Mike Shirkey. He actually sang to break in the yeah, session. Yeah, I saw, I saw the clip <laughs> of that. <laughs> okay, let's flash forward two days later to Thursday, and Governor Whitmer not only extends her stay-at-home order— which is an offshoot of the overall executive order that we've just been talking about. But she kind of doubled down. I mean, Republicans had been urging her for the last week or so to start to exempt certain occupations and professions, particularly outstate, because there has been such a preponderance of coronavirus cases in southeast Michigan and comparatively little outstate. In fact, there are some counties, particularly in the Upper Peninsula, where there's no recorded case whatsoever of coronavirus at this point. But instead, the governor kind of doubled down. She actually said, I'm not going to exempt big box stores from what my stay-at-home order has said up to this point. I'm not going to just take it out on the mom-and-pop stores. Uh, I'm going to include all the big stores, the big box stores. And there was an outcry backlash from Republicans saying this is wrong, uh, that this is going to irreparably damage the economy. How do you look at this whole situation? Yeah, I mean, I think the messaging coming out of, you know, both Republican leadership in the state legislature and Governor Whitmer has been uh, very predictable and consistent the entire time. Um, Republicans, you know, beginning um, Monday were really saying, you know, we are, uh, particularly during the session, we're saying we're only going to extend this emergency through, you know, the rest of April, and we need to begin to look at reopening things. Um, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirkey developed a bipartisan working group on Tuesday that he announced that would start looking at how to get people back to work safely, you know, when we do get the public health crisis under control. Um, And, you know, Republicans have really been lobbying hard for not only, you know, kind of regional exemptions, but also industry-based exemptions for things like um, landscapers, as well as, um, you know, some elements of construction and, you know, the reopening of golf courses. These are things that the Republican argument is, you know, you can do these things with a reasonable 
social distance. However, the governor's counterpoint to all of that is, you know, we're the state with the third highest number of corona cases, trailing only New York and New Jersey, which are kind of the epicenter of this whole thing. We now have more than 20,000 cases and 1,000 deaths. So even while there may be, you know, some counties up in the U.P. that don't have recorded cases of coronavirus, from the standpoint that any movement whatsoever, even if you're socially isolated when you get to that job or when you get to the golf course, you are still leaving your house, touching doorways touching, you know, a gas pump to fill up the car, swiping your credit card or handing somebody cash. Um, And those are all things that she says, you know, we can't tolerate until at least we've, you know, endured the peak of these cases, which we're still, according to University of Michigan models, at least a couple weeks away from. Abigail Sensky, you have given us a really good perspective on what happened this week and the ramifications of it. Thank you so much, WKAR politics reporter Abigail Sensky. Thank you, Abigail. Of course. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we are lucky to have with us Representative Graham Filler, who is state representative from the 93rd House District. That includes Clinton County, just north of Lansing, and the southern portion of Gratiot County, to the north of Clinton. He is chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He's an attorney. Uh, Representative Filler, thanks for being our guest. Bill, thanks for having me, sir. Okay, I just want to ask you, uh, what is your take or reaction, anything new, different, certainly new, never happened before in Michigan history, the legislative session on Tuesday, the way it was conducted, how it went, what do you think? Yeah, I've just got two two thoughts. First thought was, I did not touch a single thing in the Capitol with my hands except my present uh, green button on my desk, and I was impressed with the health um, and safety measures that were taken by the Speaker and also the Senate Majority Leader, and so I, I, I felt like it was unprecedented, and I felt like a lot of people in Michigan were going to work to do their job, and so I, I went to work to do my job. Let me ask you uh your reaction to one thing that Governor Whitmer said this week in response to the unemployment insurance agency being overwhelmed with applications for unemployment benefits. Uh, I think Michigan is the third highest state in the country in terms of requests for unemployment. And the governor said, well, you know, we're doing the best we can, but we're underfunded. And uh, your colleague, Representative Shane Hernandez, who is chairman of the House Appropriations Committee, issued the following statement, and I'm going to quote here in reaction to what the governor said. These are quotes. If the governor thinks the unemployment insurance agency is underfunded and she's looking to cast blame, she should look in a mirror. The legislature allocated every dime 
for unemployment insurance agency that the governor asked for in the current budget year. And for the budget year that begins next October, the governor is actually asking for over $1 million less than the current year for normal operations. Meanwhile, the governor managed to carve out millions for new programs and projects, all while proposing a cut for local sheriffs, unemployment insurance, and other far more important services. The governor needs to get her priorities straight, unquote. What's your reaction to this back and forth? Uh, My reaction is that everyone knew about the issues with UIA before, and I don't think, I'm not shocked and surprised that the UIA struggled under this massive amount of claims. I, I think really what we should have is an honest discussion. Yeah, the UIA failed and was overwhelmed under Governor Whitmer. So she can, as she does with state departments, take blame or credit and say we're going to do better going forward. I think that's a much more productive conversation. It was funded properly, and um, it it failed under this massive amount of claims. I, I wish the governor had said, you know what, this is unprecedented territory, and I'm going to work my butt off um, to to fix it going forward for the people of the state of Michigan. Instead, it turned into this blame on funding. So I, I think she missed the boat on that, and um, uh, and I'm hoping for a better conversation. I'm hoping that they fix it going forward. Representative Filler, uh, as you know, on Thursday, Governor Whitmer extended her stay-at-home order until April 30th, and there was a lot of pushback from Republicans in particular, obviously a lot of businesses and so forth, because even though I believe you and many other representatives had urged her to make some exceptions, particularly out-state, because out-state has been relatively little affected by coronavirus compared to southeast Michigan, where there's a heavy concentration of COVID-19, and these businesses are not only hurting, but it's damaging the economy, obviously, going forward. And yet the governor seems to have doubled down in the extension of her order. She actually expanded it uh, to include big box stores like Kroger's, uh, you know, huge economic and business enterprises, as opposed to just mom and pop stores that were supposedly covered by the stay at home order up to this time. How do you react to what she did and to what can happen going forward? Yeah, so the process throughout had been pretty decent. Uh, Republican leaders working with the governor, when she issued her first executive order, we worked behind the scenes to, to get clarity to individuals. And then we decided to ask, hey, this essential versus non-essential has skewed the conversation. Let's say, what can we reopen safely how can we be very nuanced in our conversation? How, how can we get people working, especially in areas which have been mostly untouched by COVID? And um, she ignored that and instead went in the opposite direction. And, and so now small businesses and employees pay the price. And so we've just, we, we just keep pushing. We say, hey, tell your story. 
You should be working. You're a landscaper. You have a greenhouse where you don't talk to anybody or get near anybody all day. Um, uh, you should be telling your story to, story to the governor because she needs to know that she's damaging business further in the state of Michigan. How it goes, and I'm worried a little bit, Bill. I'm worried that this may become like political football, which is insane because we're all in this together. This crisis is is touching everybody, and we have to work together going forward, Republicans and Democrats. And uh, just because a Republican calls for construction to be reopened safely, I'm worried that the governor would say, ugh, I can't give the Republicans a win on that one. I guess I've got to double down and take a hard line. That's where we get into we've lost track of people in the state of Michigan who need to be working uh, safely and industries that need to be reopened safely. Uh, And I think we can be nuanced. I think we can do that. Other states have done that. Why is Michigan the outlier? Representative Filler, you and the House and Senate, all legislators, 148, have said you're going to come back on April 16th. Now, I'm just asking, what do you expect to be able to do that day since the governor's stay-at-home order has been extended until the 30th? You plan to come back on the 30th as well, but what can you do on the 16th? Yeah, so sometimes we put session days on the calendar uh, in case anything comes up where we need to go in and legislate in this manner, legislate very quickly. Um, and so I assume that's why it's on the calendar. As in April 30th, I think there's going to be an interesting conversation going forward because we believe that the legislature can approve or uh, not approve whether Michigan goes into um, uh, a state of emergency going forward. The governor has argued, and some some folks on her side have argued, that the legislature actually holds no power under the um, uh, when we go into an emergency, that she could essentially revise and reissue orders forever if they believed it was reasonable and tailored to the emergency. I think that, that sets a dangerous precedent, and we will be pushing back on that um, because we believe this should be a a part, a nonpartisan or bipartisan process. Yeah, we've only got about a minute uh, left, but let me just ask you very quickly, how have you been able to conduct your job as a legislator during all this coronavirus brouhaha? You know, there is a lot of roles that we hold as legislators, not just policy roles, information. We're great uh, uh, clearinghouses for information. People have issues in the community. I'm not getting my uh, unemployment. Um, Can I work? Am I essential? Am I not essential as deemed by the governor? So myself, my legislative director, my assistant, my intern, we've all been pretty busy on responding to emails. And you know what? We can't fix a lot of problems, but we can get people information um, going forward. So that's definitely been our major role. Are, are you operating out of your home most of the time and your staff, too? Yes, we are operating out of our homes. That's right. You haven't been able to meet with any constituents and groups at all, even if you practice social distancing, right? That's right. We had a teletown hall, though. Oh, that's good. How many did you have tune in? Hundreds and hundreds. Wow. 
Listen, you've done a great job of explaining what it's like to be a legislator in the midst of coronavirus. Thank you so much. State Representative Graham Biller from the 93rd House District. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Bill. We'll be back next week with more.